0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, welcome back, Bill. It's uh, great to talk to you again. I've been gone for a couple weeks, so it's nice to resume our, our weekly chats.
1: Yeah, well, I guess the welcome back is really for you. <laughs> I've been here. You're the one that was away for a couple of weeks, and it's great to have you back.
0: Some of you that follow us on Twitter might have seen that we did a poll to ask our listeners what they'd like our next topic to be, and we overwhelmingly heard uh, the vote for a discussion on the future Oops. of laboratory medicine, and that was really helpful, so we heard you. We greatly appreciate your effort, so that's what uh, I thought we could talk about today, Belle, as you and I discussed, this is a a pretty big topic, the future of laboratory medicine. And these days, I think we really have to frame it around COVID because it changed a lot of how we work and I think will prepare us for the future. So perhaps doing this in two parts today, reflecting on the past year, because so much has changed, we've learned a lot, and that's really going to frame how we're going forward into the coming years.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right, Bobby. It's interesting. I think that we're at a time now, we're starting to see potentially the light at the end of the tunnel here with COVID. I mean, there's still twists in the plot with the variants and things, but with vaccines rolling out, you know, we're seeing at least this, the low numbers of positive cases here in the US and globally, it seems to be dropping. So I think mean, people are starting to pivot and say, okay, yeah, well, what does the future look like for us? Um, and in lab medicine in particular, you know, this is going to be the whole pandemic has really thrust laboratory diagnostics right into the forefront of healthcare discussions, and so how do we take advantage of that? Where do we go from here? And I think to your point too, COVID is going to be a real accelerant for a lot of trends that we saw prior to the pandemic. So I mean, understanding that, uh, understanding the context for which the future will be created will be really important, and so that's a great place to start, and then we can spend more time thinking about that future state.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, let me start by asking you, as our our chair of our department and as the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories, in your view, how has the perceived value of laboratory medicine changed since the start of the pandemic? We always thought it was valuable, but how do you think it's just been viewed now by government, by the general public, by other scientists?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept, value, because value is really we think about it as something very quantitative but it's actually something very subjective based in our human experience right uh that's something that really came out of the, the great recession of 2009 even i think we're overvalued at- Received versus actual. So, you know, I think for, for testing, you're right. Us in laboratory medicine and pathology have really known for a long time that what we do is really vitally important to healthcare. Uh, it's not as obvious to some people in healthcare, let alone outside of healthcare. And I think it, one thing that we're seeing with the pandemic globally is that governments are recognizing that maybe we've underinvested in our diagnostics infrastructure. The fact that it took so long to create tests and to have tests available to manage the pandemic has really made a lot of governments think about we need to invest more and non-government agencies thinking about how do we continue to invest in global diagnostics infrastructure, which I think will be important. And the other of course is the value for people outside of government. Do you look at Amazon's, others that are now looking to say, gosh maybe there's something we should be investing in in healthcare or in diagnostics I should say So a lot there and I think for us again, we have a real strong voice right now, understandably and rightfully so in terms of how labs should really be used to help guide decision making both in healthcare.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Bill, and uh, we've certainly been able to exercise that voice and get a seat at the table now. Um, And as you mentioned, we've also seen some really important changes that have occurred in response to the pandemic. You know, maybe reflecting on those, what do you think are some of the big challenges and some of the successes that came out of this past year with the pandemic?
1: Well, I think the challenges again were, you know, how do we make the tests available both in the lab and also more distributed testing that we could get out there to understand where COVID was, how it was moving, how it was spreading, how we could contain it. Um, really, you compare Asia to, to the Western world where Asia has experience with this and they in China, uh, South Korea, Singapore, they had much more different approach to diagnostics and contact tracing and isolation that helped control this, manage the spread of the pandemic. So do we need to have similar infrastructure in the West and global? And I do think that the lessons learned, though, is that when that information is available, we can really use it to make good decisions. Look Just for Mayo Clinic, we were able to to use modeling to predict when our hospitals were going to get busy based on COVID testing. People think of lab testing mostly as I go to a doctor and I have something wrong with me and I run a test and they tell me what that is. Now you start to think about what kind of tests can we do that would actually have predictive power, right, that would actually help you understand when you needed to see the doctor or when you needed to be concerned about your health. The potential for testing and lab testing to really help guide decision-making, I think, is really what we see, that where I see one of the biggest opportunities.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. Challenges, what have you seen in terms of challenges? I mean, I think we all could list many just off the top of our head, but just from an overall standpoint and from your viewpoint, what do you think were some of our biggest challenges?
1: Well, clearly, our challenge number one was scaling up the testing, right? Then you go back to the early days. I remember I was in Washington, D.C., when the, President Trump made the, the comment about how every American was going to be able to get a test. And I mean, that was very well, well-intentioned, but the reality is that the testing, the just didn't exist, right? And look how long it took for us to get out in front of the volume of testing that was needed and the challenges in the supply chain in terms of having those tests available. So... Uh, The other thing that's coming out of this is a need for the diagnostics manufacturers and the clinical labs to have a much closer working relationship. You know, it's something I had an opportunity at AECC, uh, Roche had a press conference and they asked me to participate. One of the earliest conversations I remember was in that early March before they were on the, the Rose Garden at the White House, excuse me. You know, talking to Matt South, the CEO of Roche Diagnostics North America about getting COVID testing. There actually aren't real strong relationships between the diagnostics man- manufacturers and the clinical labs. And that made it even more challenging. So I think that, that is one of the things we'll see going forward. There are these stronger relationships between different parts of healthcare and healthcare industries around diagnostics to produce things that are better for patients and for and for healthcare?
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. What you mentioned as far as just getting those close relationships with manufacturers, some of us are more engaged in working with manufacturers than others, but I think we've learned how important that is in the supply chain relationships. I think our supply chain leaders have become essential workers really in getting us the reagents that we've needed. You know, As a clinical microbiologist, I reflect on this and I think of some of the biggest challenges and successes from the microbiology standpoint. We face these challenges of ramping up testing, I think we learned how to validate and do a, a very excellent, thorough job over a very short timeframe of bringing in new tests quickly, getting them up to speed, uh, getting them implemented in the laboratory, rapid test implementation, but then some of the other things that we face like saliva as a source for respiratory testing, that's nothing that we'd ever looked at before. Going forward, I think that's something that we're going to be looking at for a lot of other respiratory viruses, pulled specimen testing, now at-home collection and at-home testing. So yeah, it's been interesting, all the different challenges and then some of the successes of how we've handled these as we've gone forward.
1: Yeah, one of the things I think will be really interesting to talk about and to to watch is what happens with the regulation of lab testing, right? Because on the one side, there was a push really under the prior Democratic administration to have stronger FDA oversight of laboratory-developed tests, yeah. yet through the pandemic, we've also witnessed the need for real flexibility. And the FDA were great partners in this in terms of working in to be as flexible as possible to make tests available to individuals and to patients. So, you know, what kind of regulatory framework we'll have going forward. Saliva so is a great example where there was some skepticism at first, whether or not it would be a good specimen type, but we were able to, we, the medical community, were able to actually find that it was a value. And then the FDA was able to adapt quickly to that information. So how we use that going forward to have a much more informed framework uh, around regulation. The other thing I think for laboratories will be, the whole concept of real-world evidence and the use of real-world data from tests to understand if they're working or not. So we're having a lot of investments before you make a test available because as laboratorians, I think all of us take great pride in making sure the tests we provide are safe and accurate, but how that information is used and how you prove that might change in terms of having to do a lot of pre-work versus just monitoring after the test goes live and having that information available. And I think the other real opportunity for us on the challenge side is all these different ways of creating information has been confusing for people. What's an ant- What can an antigen test tell me or not tell me? What can a in-lab PCR tell me or not? Point-of-care PCR tell me, or-, or nucleic acid test tell me or not tell me? A lot of ways to generate that information, uh, which has caused confusion and-, and will continue to do so as we look at like travel or reinfection or other issues that are gonna come up with COVID. But again, real opportunities for laboratories to think about ourselves and laboratory professionals not as people that run tests, but people that understand how to use the information from those tests to make observations, insights, and conclusions. So I think that's the high ground for us to really seize here within the pandemic for our profession.
0: Well, you raise a really good point, Bill. Um, I would say that communication was a challenge. I think it was a success in how our profession as a whole came to address it, but communication about testing, because like you said, uh, there were, it will continue to be questions about, you know, this test versus that, antigen versus nucleic acid, what's the use of serology, And, and in your view, how has communication with others about the laboratory changed throughout this whole pandemic?
1: Well, I think it's changing that they really are reaching out for information. Yes, right? I think that's a big yes. difference. Before it was, you know, how does the laboratory even get a seat at the table for some of these discussions about the data that we're creating? Now there's a much greater cognizance of the need to have the laboratory professional, the pathologist at the table helping to understand create clarity around how the information is created and how the data is created and how to use it. So I, I think that's a big thing is that we, we are being seen right now and we just have to make sure that we respond in a way that's responsible, respond in a way that's proactive, because there also an interest right now in this, um, we think about innovation going forward and how labs will change. The concept of warm infrastructure, which is, you know, will we have a set of capabilities available to us should this happen again? Because it it almost certainly will, hopefully not on the scale of a global pandemic, but we've seen this even in my time, you and I together, Zika virus, Ebola virus, now SARS-CoV-2. How do we leave this, an infrastructure available to manage these? And again, the labs will have a really, and lab professionals will have a really important role to play in helping to make those decisions.
0: Yeah. Well communication, I think we found having a team with a lead, and I know that I served as our lead from a medical director standpoint, and I think that was a really important lesson is, you know, you don't want media requests coming through all these different sources and having people potentially giving mixed messages, and so I think that was one of the challenges we faced early on and then a success by setting up that system to really, you know, deal with all the communication requests we were getting. I think we will bring that forth into the future because we certainly learned from our experiences on that
1: yeah no i think that's right And it's really how do you assemble teams from a lab perspective how do we assemble multidisciplinary teams right that, that allow us to make decisions more real time and i think that's something again that we'll see going forward as an innovation out of the pandemic will be multidisciplinary teams within labs Within the profession to say, how does a serology test compare to a PCR test compared to, right, that we have good communication internally about how the component parts work. And then also, as we think about, again, going back, to say, working with diagnostic companies, how do you actually establish some of these relationships and teams going forward so that the conversations can continue to happen, not just in the crucible of a pandemic, but really as a continuing part of improving healthcare.
0: Well, that's a great point too, because we're framing this in the context of COVID-19 and pandemics, but this is just going to impact probably our daily operations going forward. And some of these things we'll want to keep just because they're best for our operations and for patient care. So, one last question for you then, Bill. And it's a little complex because we don't completely know the answer, but just reflecting back on this past year, we've ramped up COVID testing to this extent where we are now meeting our patient care needs, but COVID 19 is going down in the United States and around the world. And now we have to keep up with demand, but at the same time, staff to workload and probably scale back some of our operations. What are some of the innovative ways that you've thought about this as our chair? You know, How do we make sure that we have enough tests and, and enough people standing by, but as volumes go down that we don't have excess capacity?
1: Well, let's say, you know, I wish I had a great answer to that. Actually, <laughs> it turns out there's a lot of good, a lot of it's out of military preparedness, believe it or not, but actually standing down from a crisis is often more difficult than standing up to it because when you stand up to the crisis, I mean, pretty obvious to everyone that COVID-19 testing was a priority for anyone in, in the in the nation and especially in the department here. Um, but then as you go forward, how do you maintain a focus on that while you start to redo other activities? I think getting back to getting healthcare back on track for things that are not related to COVID. So patients can get the care they need. Yeah, it's going to, and the flip side is, of course, there's still concern with the more easily transmitted or variants that have emerged that we could be facing a third wave. So on the one side, how do you stand down a little bit to allow other things to happen for patients? And then at the flip side though, how much can you stand down for fear that there might be yet another surge coming? And I think there is, that specter is still out there for us.
0: Yeah, we have to keep our forces at the ready, but we don't want people just standing around, not utilizing their full potential either. That's right. And not
1: burning out. I mean, it's burning people out too, right? To actually be, to say, stand ready, stand ready, don't go back to your normal job. So...
0: Well, I think this is a great place to stop because next time we're going to talk about this transition period and then looking forward into the future. And we're going to be continuing to face these challenges as the pandemic wanes, perhaps. We don't know if it'll come back again with variants and a third wave. So I think lots to talk about. Next time when we meet, we could talk more about, though, the future of laboratory medicine, standing down from a pandemic, transitioning back to maybe what's going to be normal, but taking some of those successes that we've had from this past year and pulling them forward and and moving forward.
1: Yeah, everyone stay safe. Keep masking up and things so we can avoid that uh, third wave and then so we can get on to the future. So I look forward to talking about it.
0: Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everyone, for joining us.